we are back with another Black Window Cream podcast. New episode every single Sunday. I'm your host, Ben Haggerty, a.k.a. Ben Reverse World. I'm currently in Iowa for the holidays, and it just snowed outside. And my dad's sitting in here watching me do this, and he's filming me with his phone, which is kind of weird. Anyway, on today's episode, actually, wait, before I introduce today's guest, if you want a discount on Black Window Cream merch, pay attention to this entire intro. I'm giving away a big discount to my podcast supporters. So, uh, yeah, let's get to this. On today's episode, I'm happy to bring my homie Travis Lloyd on to share his story. Travis is a mental health professional, public speaker, foster care expert, hip-hop artist, author, and mentor. He does all that shit. Travis grew up in and out of foster care, group homes, and was even institutionalized at one point. Growing up in and out of the system, he was often told that he would be dead or in jail before he was 18 and able to graduate high school. He had very little support to push and drive him to succeed in life, but creatively, Travis created his own lane of success. Not only did Travis graduate from high school, he went on to graduate college with a bachelor's in science. Through a series of events, Travis has made his personal goal to empower young people, the adults in their lives, and the professionals who work with them to reach their full potential. He now travels all over the world speaking and even sharing his poetry and raps that he wrote as a coping mechanism when he was going through the struggle. There is a lot to learn in this conversation. Travis and I go back several years, and before I moved out to LA, I would fly all over the country with him and shoot and create content at all of his events. I'm proud of this dude and believe he has a lot to offer. I hope you enjoy our conversation. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast, you're probably wondering what does Black Window Cream stand for? Black Window Cream is a private content creator group fueled by caffeine, or at least I take my coffee Black Window Cream, but you can drink or not drink whatever caffeine you fuck with and still be a part of our community. We are a private group on Facebook open to creators of all kinds, aka if you make videos, you're a photographer, if you do marketing management, editing, dancing, etc., 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 all creators are welcome. Our private group has been growing rapidly. We have a shit ton of members working together by sharing content, asking for feedback, passing tips and tricks along to one another with the goal of pushing each other to become the best motherfucking content creators on earth. And you can join the group if you want by going to blackwindowcream.com slash join. We would love to fucking have you. Please join. A special note I want to make, I'm working with my intern to get the video portion of this podcast up and running. I have been filming every episode and I'm excited to upload them all. We're working around the clock to edit every episode and get them up on the Black Window Cream YouTube channel. I hope to have them up by the new year, so look forward to that. If you're interested in supporting Black Window Cream, please go to blackwindowcream.com slash merch. We have hats, shirts, stickers, pins, and shit that are all available in the store. I appreciate anyone who picks up some merch. Since it's the holidays, I have created a special discount for anyone who fucks with the Black Window Cream podcast. I'm offering 20% off all orders, so if you use the code the podcast is dope, all one word, the podcast is dope, this is the deal. It will end next Sunday. Hop on it now, 20% off. That's tight. That's my first time doing a discount. If you don't have the funds, I totally get it. There's another way you can support. Obviously, share a link to this podcast with as many people as you possibly can. And please hop on iTunes and leave us a review. Every review helps this podcast grow and it helps me understand as a host what to do differently and how to give you guys better content. So I appreciate you for doing that. All right, that's it. Enjoy the work week. Keep creating. Make sure to tune in every single Sunday for a new Black Window Cream episode. And without further ado, I bring to you my interview with Travis Lloyd and the most epic podcast intro ever created right motherfucking now. Attention. If you stop this podcast recording at any time, you will die. I don't want to die. Do you want to live? You have 24 hours to share this podcast with five people or you will die. I'm kidding. You won't die. You're just weak shit for not sharing. And the winner of the best motherfucking podcast goes to... Goes to... Black with no cream. What do you think? It's so fucking dumb and so fucking Ben Haggerty. I knew you would say that. And we are back with another Black with no cream podcast with my motherfucking homie, Travis Lloyd. <laughs> 
What's up, what's up, what's up? How you doing, dog? I'm great. Um, I, uh, I'm just sipping a little black with no cream. That's right. Yeah, we're having some coffee over here at the WeWork office <laughs> where uh, me and Andrew just got a spot. Um, so we're testing it out. I don't know how it'll sound or look, but this is like a boardroom at a WeWork office. Normally, I do it in my kitchen. But yeah. You mean this is black with no cream headquarters? Yeah, that's right. I, we got the little monitor in the background. Yeah. Hopefully, it stays awake. I don't know. This is very some makeshift <laughs> shit. Um, no, but Travis Lloyd, man, this is my homie from Iowa, okay? So... Travis and I met each other years back, and we'll get into that. Uh, Travis has worked with, he, he's a foster care, foster care kid himself, grew up in that world. Well, once upon a time. Once yeah. upon a time. Grew up in that world and is now a foster care expert. He's also a speaker, an author, a rapper. He, does, he, uses, he used music back in the day to like get himself through some shit. It was how I cope, man. It was how you cope. Yeah. Um, He's a legend. He does everything. So I've, I've known Travis <laughs> for some time. We've traveled, actually, before I moved out to L.A., we would travel over the nation. I would, like, film for him, and we'd just, like, wing it off no money, just, you know, trying to figure out how to make each other look Oh, my really gosh. Cool. South Dakota, bro. Yeah, South Dakota. <laughs> we, had, we had some trips. So I, I learned a lot with Travis, and I taught Travis a lot of shit, and now it's tight because since I've left, Travis has implemented a lot of, like, the video techniques and things that I was doing back then himself because at the time I told him like the best thing you could do is learn as much as possible yeah. so you could do as much as possible on your own versus needing to hire someone or rely on someone else but the reason that I needed to is a funny story yeah because you, like you were on site with me we were doing a gig a speaking gig in Colorado for a big conference mm-hmm. and uh, you you know I mean you were you had the drone out and you were like doing these cool things and me walking into the conference making me look super cool yeah and uh, and then halfway through the event you get a call and you're like, sorry, dude, I'm ducking out. I'm going to L.A. to shoot a Chris Brown music video. And I'm like, what, <laughs> yeah. the, f- what the fuck, dude? <laughs> I'm speaking in Denver, Colorado, man. We need like, to film like this. I need, some, I need some promotional footage. I know, man. That was, it was fun, though, because we started like kind of figuring it out and, and like running that market and trying to figure out how to like make the most effective content from what you were doing. Which tra- So Travis would get hired to go speak to any given situation. Like, let's say, get, what's like a main speech so, that you would do? Uh, like, uh, my, my primary audiences are child welfare, mental health, juvenile justice, social services, and I also do some stuff in education. Mm-hmm. So a, a really big example would be like, uh, uh, mental health awareness, suicide prevention on a campus. Right. And that could be in front of hundreds, if not thousands of different people from all over the state, sometimes just like in that specific city. Yeah. And so it ranged, we could be talking to, maybe we go to a foster care house and talk to like 20 kids or 15 kids and then turn around and go talk to 2000 people in a, a huge room where Travis would be on a stage for 90 minutes yeah, doing the 90 keynote minutes. speech, <laughs> like being the guy that would seal the deal in that entire, whatever that, that weekend was for those people. Travis got up and yeah. was like, yo, I grew up in this shit. This is what I learned. And I hope that you guys can take care yeah, of whatever so information. For a lot of those like professional audiences, my goal is to influence the people who are you know, now serving people who, mm. need, who need those services. So the judges, the lawyers, the social workers, the therapists, psychologists, yeah. teachers. Um, and when they're at professional development events, they're there to learn, they're there to grow, they're there to stay up on, you know, up, up to par with current practices. And my goal is to just re-inspire them and let them know that what they do matters mm. and, and like help them see through me that it's possible, no matter where you come from or where you want to go, to achieve and to move on despite that background. Right. And Travis yeah. talks about it a lot and I, and I, 
every time we go somewhere, he would speak and it's similar as, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a routine. You're trying to kind of package your story into like 90 minutes and I would hear it. But every time there's always some new curveball that he would throw out there that I learned something about Travis, which always blew, blew my fucking mind. I'm like, <laughs> God damn, he went through that. He did that shit. Like you just, it, it's crazy. So what better way to do this than to have someone who's been through it, survived it because oftentimes, and I know you talk about it in your book and everything like that, that you were told that you would be dead or in jail before you were 18. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That this motherfucker was not supposed to make it. People said he wasn't going to live or survive this. He was a tragedy to the world. Right. And well, every, everybody judged me based on where I came from, and I, unfortunately, my my you know my family now is is doing much better. But mm. at the time, my sister was a long term uh, meth addict, right. and my mom had gone through some really really tough situations that kind of put her over the edge. And I wasn't connected to my father, very, you know, anymore. Yeah. Uh, and we lived separate parts of the country, and right. and everyone knew my connection to my sister, who was a a meth addict and drug dealer, right? right? So everyone just assumed that I'm going to be a drug dealer or I'm going to be dead or in prison. Instantly judging you for, you know, something you didn't even do. You had nothing to do with. It's just tied in through family and then instantly coined as like, this kid's going to fuck up. So Travis has to deal with, you know, no one really pushing to say, you're going to be great. You're going to be awesome. You can be the next fucking Michael Jordan or whatever to just being like, you're going to fucking probably die in the streets or, you know, OD or whatever it is. Yeah. And so you always had that going along. Travis's story. Well, what pisses me off about that though is like a lot of it. I, I had enough, you know, people, one person at a time to mm-hmm. influence me to, to like teach me that that's not really who I am. Yeah. But there were many times that when I ran into difficult situations and I started to question myself that, I almost wanted to just throw in the towel and say, screw it. Like, this is what everyone expects of me. This is what I'm going to be. And and there were many times when I did that, where yeah. I, you know, it landed me in a shitload of trouble. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know. Now, fast forward to today, Travis is one of the most well-rounded dudes that I've ever met who's got his head on his shoulders, has always operated kind of on his on his own, solo dolo for, for life or whatever, and <laughs> has learned from other people. So he's gravitated and has been kind of a magnet to you know, positivity and finding things that could link everything together. And then for himself to turn that in, he's had an incredible career basically uh, from for the past 10 years, you know. 15. 15 years. So, wait a second. I'm going to be 34 this year, bro. Yeah. So that, so would, that would mean Motherfuckers 17 been, in been in the game. So listen. I, Since I started working in, in that capacity. Yeah. So Travis started yeah. speaking forever ago, right? Started speaking forever ago about you know all this all the shit that he's been going through and there's so much more and i know you guys like i'm summarizing things we can get through certain things and talk about it um to summarize who travis lloyd is but <laughs> by the motherfucking book okay <laughs> right please link in description or whatever it's in the show notes but um but like you know so getting to where you were back then you were speaking on this shit and and that's through a mutual friend dante you and dante would do some stuff together too and like you guys would link up and you would go out and speak and he would speak and you guys would speak together and yeah. then you would also perform because what people don't get is that Travis would use music as a way of coping. So like back in the day, he's like the only white kid in all black neighborhood trying to figure it out and would go. And what's funny though is I intend, like I was so used to struggling Mm -hmm. that I intentionally placed myself in those situations. Mm. Like I I just, by the time. like the situation of like a lower income space, like where you were just kind of like. Where I felt comfortable there because that's what I grew up in. So like when I met Dante and Chuck and all these cats like who were doing music and Mm -hmm. doing it big. Yeah. Uh, for for especially for where we were from, um, I was in college at that time, and 
I was so used to poverty and the hood and all of that that mm -hmm. that's where I just gravitated. Right. And yeah. then he would end up at like the nightclubs and there'd be like the local DJ and Travis would come yeah. in <laughs> and he would be like, Can I play you some music? And oh my god, DJ Days. DJ Days. <laughs> so what's cool to to like loop this back in, to Travis and I met so so Dante put together a program with Travis and a couple other guys called um Heart of a Student. The Heart of a Student. Sorry, I yeah. totally blanked. Heart of a Student. And brought me on because he wanted a kind of a video element, and, he, and I was doing music too, so he wanted to loop me in somehow. And it was last minute. He's like, hey, man, we're doing like this five, six-city run. We're going to go to all these high schools and speak to them. Twelve so, cities, bro. Twelve cities, sorry. Twelve Two weeks. Cities. Two twelve weeks. cities. Yeah, yeah, okay. So we go to all these cities, and we start <laughs> you know, speaking with these kids. And basically, it was like an auditorium, and all these kids would pile in. And each time, you guys all kind of had a show put together. And I was just shooting it and trying to help make it better. And so, you know, Travis would come out and he would start doing some poetry and he would just out of nowhere, you'd see this dude come out with some emotionalized poetry and the kids would just be quiet, like dead silent, hearing him talk about some real shit, you know? Yeah. And then Dante would come out singing and then we had the Brazilian twins, two of our homies that they come out dancing, dancing and doing flips and playing <laughs> violin and cello and shit and like doing crazy yeah. stunts. And so to collectively, it was a really unique experience because these kids, you know, it was middle class, like lower income schools, and the kids had nothing. And the whole goal for us was to try to help them understand that there's more after high school. You know what yeah. I mean? There's more than just this little drum, dramatic packed world that you live in. So come on, just like listen to what we're saying and follow what we're trying to do. And you can do this too. You know what I mean? So yeah. I thought that was so unique, and like one of the first nights, me and Travis got bunked up in a hotel together. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing, bro? Like, what are you, what are you doing? And, and you're just staring at your phone. And I didn't know either of you. I didn't know you. And I, we were also in a, a, a room with DJ Days. <laughs> I had no Days. clue who you were. We yeah. had DJ Days, who was like a local DJ that they brought on the tour, so he would like spin in between the shit. So at the night, this is a three-person hotel room, which I always laugh about. It had three fucking beds in it, which yeah. I've never seen in my life. I don't know where we were. It's somewhere in Iowa. And we all had a, you know, our own bed and we we're just like chilling for the evening. We had to get it back up in the morning and do it again. And you're like, dude, what are you doing on your phone? I'm like, Instagramming or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, just getting some content for Instagram. You're like, dog, I need to learn how to use Instagram. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know how to use Instagram? And he's like, no. I'm like, but your whole thing is like doing social shit with people, like being socially like found. Yes. I'm like, I got, I got what, like 900 followers on my Facebook page. So I was like, isn't that cool? I got some tips for you, bro. <laughs> and we started like just going ham and I was teaching him about how social media work. But then we became friends like yeah. through that, through that little experience. And you know, since then we went on and we did 12 cities and it was amazing. And we touched mad kids. Like these kids were just yeah. like coming to I us. I mean, some of those kids still hit me up on social media me and like tell me about their you know, their struggles and their, in their, in their triumphs. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I just had a kid not too long ago that came back and was talking about his like victory. Like, man, when I, when I found you, like you were doing video stuff and I wanted to do it and now I rap and all this shit. And I'm like, this is crazy. I forgot about that trip. Like, you know what I mean? Like they come back to you and just, it was a really cool and empowering thing for these kids. I'm glad we did it. I wish we could continue doing it. I think that, yeah. that it matters. And I think that it has so much value, even for us. Like none of us were like famous. None of us were, superstars we were local just like them but, but, but they, they thought, thought that we were they thought we were yeah. superstars like it was crazy we come out and it would just be like kids dancing they wanted to scream they wanted to cheer they wanted to listen it was like they wanted pictures afterwards oh man the hugs and the pictures wild and, and the videos like we would we would be stuck they'd be supposed to be in class and they're like getting referrals to stay with us yeah and i remember <laughs> the, the, remember the time there was a there was one time where where what the principal of one school was like yo i got this kid who's been going through some shit and he really Cedar needs... Cedar Falls. 
No, it wasn't in Cedar Falls. No, that did happen too. There was another kid in Cedar Falls, yeah. but this was like at one of the schools we, we had just performed there. And then like right afterwards, he's like, could you guys come talk to him? And he was in a class and there was probably like eight other kids. And I think maybe it was like a detention or something. And we all just kind of came in and the kid just hated life. And he was like, who the fuck are these guys? You know what I mean? And by the time we left, he was like hugging everyone like, bro, thank you. Like, I don't even know what he wanted or what the, what the deal was, but he just needed change. Like he needed to see yeah. kids that were you know, a little older than him, but have like found something, found something to gravitate towards. And that shit was so fucking yeah. cool. I was just like, I was just supposed to do video shit and get like some, like a couple hundred bucks. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I was like, this is That's dope. what this is about, bro. Team Change Lives. Yeah. Teamchangelives.com. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hashtag, bro. Oh, it's just a hashtag. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to buy the domain and sell it back to you for fucking three grand. Um, but yeah, these are just stories, man. This is stories like how we met. But Travis's story is so unique because... You know, you you started out in Seattle. Like I could summarize your whole fucking package for you because I've heard Can it you? so many times. Yeah, this motherfucker started in Seattle. Okay, <laughs> his parents split, go through some shit. Uh, his mom and you know his dad, whatever they split, and he kind of like it. Kind of gets really bad, right? So you can. So I don't want to say say your story anymore. <laughs> I want you to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm gonna watch it. Maybe 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 I can summarize. Yeah, it a summarize bit. it for me because because hey. you have to understand we, how how fucked up this shit is for. People that have to go through foster care, right? Just to have to go through that in general, yeah. but to also deal with terrible things, especially right now. Let's play with relevance. There's that video. I don't know if you saw it of that kid that just like was bullied in school, and everyone's po- reposting this shit. Did you see that? Uh, like, yeah. The past day or yeah. two. Um, this kid, I don't know where he's from, and I think I just saw his name finally. Maybe but, you can add a clip in there. Yeah, I'll, I'll post it in the yeah. show notes. But this kid ha- posted a video, and he's crying. His mom's filming him, and he just had milk poured down his shirt, and ha- gets made fun of for his nose and all these things, and he's just so fucking sad. And it's terrible, but it's dope because everyone, in, as, at least from who I follow, is like hip-hop culture. I repost that. Chris Brown just shared it. All these people are yeah. sharing it like, yo, fuck everyone else. This kid needs friends. Like, you are now the coolest kid in your school because of us. Like we found you and you don't need to think like that anymore because none of these kids matter. Like this is all, you know what I mean? So it, yeah, I'm just ranting, but like, I hate that shit. I yeah. hate that shit. And I was lucky as fuck. Cause I didn't have to grow up like yeah. that. You know what I mean? And, and, and I'll share some of my story for sure. But, but one thing that I really want to, you know, hone in on is mm-hmm. that as I share my story, it's not because I'm sharing, and it's not because I'm important. Right, it's not about the story. It's about understanding that when you share a part of who you are and what you've experienced, that just opens the door for other people to feel like it's okay for what they went through, mm-hmm. and that it's possible to get through it and do better and be better. One hundred percent. That's yeah. why I fucking have you on the show. Yeah, dude. right. <laughs> That's why I have everyone on the show. Like, I just think everyone has a story, and that story could affect anyone who's listening to this. Whether I mean, these aren't getting mad views, like millions of views. I wish, like, someday. Oh, I they think, will. Yeah, yeah, even if this touches two people, one person. You know what I mean? That's just, all that matters. Just one person. Just one person. We talk about this all the time, and that's part of tra- <laughs> Travis's shit. Funny as hell. But anyway, get into it. Like, kind of just summarize. Can you summarize like your childhood, basically? Like, what set you up to move to Iowa? So, I mean, that's real simple. Wait, uh, my uh, my dad was originally from Long Beach, California. My mom was originally from Forest City, Iowa, a small town in northern Iowa. Uh, both of them had just real messed up backgrounds. They ended up in St. Louis. Mm. My dad moved to St. Louis for a job. My mom moved there to get away. Uh, they were living in the same apartment building. And all of a sudden, voila, a love child was born Little when they Travis. moved to Seattle, right? And, uh, it, but the thing is, that, you know, as the cycles repeat, they both came from real bad backgrounds where they weren't taught coping skills. They weren't taught life skills. And so they're here you know, in their 20s trying to raise a family. And when, when shit got tough, 
um, you know, they weren't able to pull through and they just decided it's not working anymore. So that divorce happened and, uh, and there was a restraining order. So I was I didn't have contact with my dad and my mom ended up going to get help. And she, you know, she stayed in the hospital and my sister at the time was in rehab. Mm. And so that's when I went to foster care and, uh, I had I didn't know that I had other family in Iowa because my mom like wanted to get away from like, everything she'd experienced when she was younger. Right. So she just made it like we as children did not know that we had aunts and uncles or anything like that. And while I was in like the second foster home, the these random people showed up at the door and they're like, "We're your family," and I, and they they took me from that foster home, put me on a plane, and brought me to Iowa so that you know they could just make sure nothing you know, bad was con- continue to happen in Seattle. But I love this too. And I know you say this when you speak, but talk, talk about the, how your grand, or it was your uncle. How did he yeah. smuggle you onto the plane? This, <laughs> is, pre, this is like pre nine 11. I love yeah. this part of the story. Uh, oh, oh, you want that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was way before nine 11. This was uh, December of 1993 when I was in that second foster home mm. and uh, they, you know, they decided my aunt and uncle and my grandfather on my mom's side and his third or fourth wife, they showed up at the door and, uh, my uncle had to get a U-Haul to, you know, unload everything in our house. Right. And, uh, so he took the U-Haul and drove it from Seattle back to Iowa, which is like 1500 miles, like a three or four three day, day trip. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, so since he was driving, my aunt just gave me his ticket. And that's when, you know, a lot of times in my presentation, I'll say that's when I became the most attractive 63 year old Ron <laughs> Kellogg ever to to get on a plane. So of course. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't patting me down. They weren't probing me. They didn't check my ID. I just became Ronald Kellogg, That's age 63. crazy. Yeah. Just fucking got the <laughs> ticket and just hop on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you moved to Iowa, and at the time, you know, your mom's going through this shit. She's having a rough time, and you kind of experienced that for a while at home. Yeah. And, um, and your aunt, before she takes you in, I mean, you're, you're talking about like, you had different dudes coming into the house and you're a kid and you just, you know, you're really struggling with, uh, it's just a shitty environment for a kid. You know, how yeah. old were you at the time? I mean, that was like uh, nine until 13 and a half, almost 14. Yeah. So about four, four and a half, five years. And you're just kind of hearing that and get pulled out. And then once you get, you, you know, your aunt comes and grabs you, you're brought yeah. back to Iowa where you live on a farm. Yeah. And basically in the middle of fucking yeah. Iowa. And during that like nine to 14 time frame, I mean, that's like, being placed in emergency shelters, you know, being being home alone all the time, being on food stamps. Like, um, I would uh, I would get like back then it was paper food stamps, right? Now it's a card, right? But back then the real paper food stamps, the the one dollar food stamps, I would I would take them to the grocery store and I would buy like the five cent gummy bears, right? Yeah, like the the large ones, and I would take one gummy bear to the checkout counter and I would pay with a one dollar food stamp. So that I could get ninety five cent chains, and then I would do that over and over again until I could buy what I wanted to buy. Smart man, <laughs> ridiculous, damn. But you, so you, but you end up getting, you know, you're at your aunt's, and and to summarize the story for for the rest of that, because this is all in his book, and it's written so well, and you tell this shit so yeah. well, which is actually crazy about his book because when he was writing his book, he was like having this massive brain fart and couldn't finish it, and he was like, dude. 
I just need to come like get out of. He lived in Des Moines at the time. I lived in Cedar Falls, which is like a two, two hours. hour drive. Yeah. So he's like, I just gotta get out. So he came where I lived at my parents' house, had a studio built in the basement, and I was like, well, we're working at another studio, so you can just take over my spot. So he literally just transformed my room into Travis's room and <laughs> wrote a book, like wrote. Like two thirds of his motherfucking yeah, book, just and, sitting in your your office chair. Yeah, because I needed a change of environment. And he had yeah. to, he had to deliver it on a certain time, et cetera, et cetera. So he, whatever, he finishes the book and heads home. And he calls me late that night, like, dude, I need you to send me the file. I don't have it on my computer, and I'm like, the one that I had saved. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, I thought I had it. I don't have it. You need to send it to me. And I'm like, fuck. I just cleaned my desktop because I'm a fucking neat freak and I hate when random shit's on my thing, you know, JPEGs. Yeah, whatever. oh, my heart sang. And I deleted I lost it. like 10,000 words. 10,000. I deleted this dude's work and he was like <laughs> screaming, fuck, shit, no, fuck. <laughs> and he had to have it done in like three more days. Like he had to yeah. have it submitted to the publication, whatever. And I was like feeling so terrible that he just did all this and he ended up sitting down and banged it out and like I, another I, day or two. Yeah, but I feel like you rewrote an even better version of. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you it was know meant I mean? to so be. So that's I, it was training. For but him, so so here's the thing. Cool, one cool thing I'm gonna I'll tell him like what the book is because yeah. it's really helpful. Like when I tell people the title of it, oftentimes they're just like thrown off. Like oh, this you know that's a little bit too much for me. It's mm. too emotional. It's too close. Like maybe that's good for somebody else or for crazy people, but it's probably not good for me. Right. Right. They just make those assumptions because of the title. But I promise you, like I don't give a shit who you are. It's something that can relate to you and you can learn and grow from it. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. The, the title is Overcoming Emotional Trauma, Life Beyond Survival Mode. And uh, you can, like, Ben actually helped me, uh, you helped me write uh, and produce a PSA oh, yeah, promoting yeah. the book. Right. Um, and you can see that video that you made mm -hmm. uh, at Um Now, the, the one cool thing that I think your listeners might benefit from is understanding the process that it took for me to get there. Because there's so many people who like want to do an album, want to do a book, um, and it just seems like too big of a task. Right. And for me, it was too. Uh, but I knew that in order for me to see be seen as viable in the market of professional speaking or even in performing, because I, I, like during these times, I get paid to go do like positive hip hop song uh, uh, concerts, yeah. right? For for youth programs yeah, yeah. and stuff. And, and I needed to have some sort of platform to stand on. And that's what the book was going to do for me. Uh, but I knew that it was such a daunting task. Like, there's, there's no way I'm going to do it unless I have a deadline. Right. So what I started to do is I started to promote my speaking services. And I started to make cold calls. And I started to, you know, raise awareness to my availability as a, as a performer and as a speaker. And I started, I was calling schools. I was calling government agencies to do conferences, events. Churches. Like, just churches. Yeah. And, and I would get on there and I anytime somebody expressed an interest in booking me I would I would like quote something that was way more than I ever would normally quote uh, but then I would say but like quote quote your fee you my mean. fee yeah gotcha. yeah yeah so and then I would say but if you want a significant discount on my fee all you have to do is order 300 copies or more of my new book and all I had was the title at the time Huh. Right? <laughs> yeah. A little hustler. <laughs> Young hustler. And so then, like, finally, one of these people called me back and they're like, hey, we want to book you to come inspire our judges and lawyers for the entire state of South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, gosh, I really have a lot of stuff to do. I don't want to do this. 
And so I, normally I was doing gigs at like 2000 or $3,000 per gig. Right. And that would include my expenses, right? By the time yeah. I was all done and all the time I put into it, I was making minimum wage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do this trip for $15,000 if you also order 300 copies of my new book, Overcoming Emotional Trauma. And when I was having a conversation with them, they told me the event date was like September 5th. And, uh, or October 5th. And so I, I, in the conversation, I said, with the pending release date of August 5th, 30 days before their event. So you set yourself up to have to deliver this bitch. By that day. Right how, many, well, how much time in, in advance is that? Like for you, that, that gives you so how many that, weeks to so, write the book. Well, um, well, I booked this gig several months in advance. Yeah. But of course, I just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And so then when it got to be like 45, 50 days before, that's when I'm like, okay, I got three weeks to finish this book. Terrifying. Right? And not only finish it, but publish it and find a designer and... Yeah, all the shit. <laughs> and edit it. Yeah, and get it yeah. on Amazon and all that stuff. So he... Yeah. He does it. He pulled it off. I deleted the book. He rewrote the book. Dick. I know, but it helped you out, bro. Like, let's just face it. That book was trash until I did that. Right. Um, no, so the book is great. And I think the reason why we were talking about the book was because um, there's a good story in there. It talks about, sure. you know, all the shit you've been through. And if you ever have a chance to find Travis when he's on the road or whatever, you definitely got to hear. There's so much, so much shit he could say to you that'll just open your mindset to stuff. But um, you move, what, what always blew my mind was how you talked about you know, the struggle of like dealing with neglect and the, the way your family was set up to just, you know, you'd be in with your aunt and your uncle and you'd live there. And then all of a sudden you were, your mom came to pick you up again. So she finally moved back. Right. Like, wasn't that, did, is, that is that how it went? Like you end up, I commend your try. You're trying. Yeah. But you're, okay. yeah. so you live, but you lived in Iowa for a little bit with your aunt, right? So it, my aunt picked me up when I was in eighth grade, okay. a little bit before I turned 14. Got you. And then from 14 till 18, I stayed with them on the farm. Mm. And, and that was like my, own, like my first experience of permanency since I was like six or seven. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, it, but before that, there was a lot of back and forth to play, placements, shelters, yeah, yeah, back yeah. and forth to my mom. But when did your mom come in? Yeah. Didn't you end up moving back in with your mom after your aunts? Oh, I, so, okay. So when we moved to Iowa first, when yeah. I was like nine, uh, I was staying with my aunt for like two months. Okay, gotcha. And then my mom and sister uh, drove to Iowa uh, like after a couple months. And then that's when we moved into a trailer park. Okay. With, with your mom? With my mom and sister. Right. And then that was kind of like... That was like from 9 to 14 chaos, uh, violence, drugs, like stupid crap. Just shitty... Things yeah. for a kid to be dealing with. Yeah, like getting in a fight. I mean, you could see see my broken septum. Oh, yeah. Can you see that? Yeah, weird. That, I was like street fight in the middle of nowhere, small town when I was 11. <laughs> <laughs> but you go through all of that, and, and then with that, you know, you start getting into more music. Music, I, this is obviously like once you get to college, you graduate high school. Let's talk about that before we skip forward. You finally get to graduate high yeah. school, but you always talk about how people literally say, you know, you shouldn't, you'll never make it. And I love how you always talk. It's, you, he, damn, I'm, I'm like trying to figure out what all the best shit I can talk about right now. Right. For, <laughs> on the fly. It's been a while since you've been to my events. It though, has so been. It's been like it's over It's kind of rusty. Yeah. So over almost three years since yeah. we've done it. Yeah. Um, but what I like is that in, 
a lot of the speeches and stuff, Travis always ties it into it's just one person that can yeah. help change shit. Yeah. So example is this. Hopefully one person will gravitate towards this and it, uh, it could help you. Yeah. It could help you connect to Travis after this or whatever it is and like pick your brain on that. But like what I love is that you give the example of when you were in a grade school or something. Like eighth talk, grade? Yeah, eighth grade. You were walking down the hall and it was like the end yeah. of the school year and you remember their names. There was two teachers, Mrs. Right? Ross. Mrs. Ross? Yeah. So Mrs. Ross grabs you and basically what'd she say she she like tapped me on the shoulder right and and she's like f- like four eleven maybe and so here i am in eighth grade and i turn over and i look at her and i'm like i'm thinking to myself like i'm so used to being in trouble yeah that i'm like jesus fuck am i just gonna be suspended you know right. there's like minutes left in the school day can you just leave me alone and it's like the last day of school and, and she looks at me and she just gets real like thoughtful and she says, you know, Travis, um, I want you to know that this isn't something that we talk about, but Mr. Fedler and I, the science teacher, every year we like to choose one person as most improved. And uh, this year we chose you. And, and we believe that you've come a long way in your ability to make friends in your ability to focus, in your ability to be honest, in your ability to do your schoolwork on time. Mm-hmm. And we think that you're gonna do really well in high school. And that's like, that's a, I use that example because that's one person choosing to just, even though I've been a complete dick, even though I've been this lost little child, recognizing that I'm not a crazy kid, that I'm not this stubborn piece of shit who's never gonna amount to anything, in that her pointing out a positive in me might be the only time in that year where I actually thought to myself, oh, I might be smart. Right. You Crazy. Know? And that like completely changed my trajectory for the next time somebody put me down. Damn. You know it would have been crazy if she would have came up and said all that shit to you and then and she's like, we choose one person. And it's your friend Jacob. Do you right? know where he's at right now? <laughs> You're like, fuck. <laughs> no, but... But, but I, I swear to God... Uh, Can you imagine? She still she still volunteers in that school. Amazing! Shout out to her. She's not a teacher anymore, but I want to go do like a mini doc meeting her. Amazing! Yeah, you should for sure. Yeah, Duh. you should do it. Okay, for sure. Yeah, let's go. Where is she at? In Nevada. Nevada? You but call it Nevada? 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 No, Nevada is the state. Nevada is a city in oh, Iowa. Oh, word. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, that's where I went to high school. Crazy. Yeah. So she still lives there. Like, she lives in Ames. Wow, uh, what but, a dope but she still chick. volunteers there. Yeah. Shout out to her. And I also love that you then talk about a situation where one person could have fucked it all up for you, and it was an uh, officer. The probation officer. Probation officer. Yeah. And Travis gets in trouble for whatever it was and has to go through probation. He's working, like, cleaning up a church and doing all this shit and spends however many days doing probation. Like months, Months, bro. months. Okay, so he's doing I was a- 13 and had 100 hours of community service. For it's like what? a part-time job. What'd you do? I got, like, since Stealing I didn't have any supervision and I didn't have food a lot of times, yeah. I would steal things and sell it in order to buy food, right? I would break into cars. And then there were older kids in my neighborhood who capitalized on the fact that I had no filter mm-hmm. and I didn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. And so they would just use me as a lookout for things to do bigger things. And uh, so we would, we would have planned like robberies. And then I would go to like, if we, if we found sports equipment, I would go to the, the used sports store and sell it off. Um, if I found, if I got like cartons of cigarettes, I would sell them independently, like individual packages on the school bus. Crazy. Like, <laughs> So this dude goes and does time for this, and 13 years old. So I got, but they they busted me on a, a missing Sony Discman. 
<laughs> Fuck. Everyone listening to this podcast is like, what is he talking about? <laughs> my dem my demographic is so little. Like, I know, right? Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Uh, is that a treadmill? Um, so, he, yeah, so he talks about that story and basically does his time. At the very end of the, the shit, uh, his aunt comes to pick him up, right? It was your aunt at the time. Came and picked you up. And um, I love this story. He tells this story she, so, so well. So after I got all the hours done and, and you know, a lot of people – a lot of people look at it as it's such, such punishment and it's, you know, nobody wants to do it. But when I did my community service, I looked at it as people are paying attention to me. Mm. When I show up to this church and people who come into this church tell me I did a good job scrubbing the, the steps with a toothbrush and that it looks really nice. Like I started to have pride in the work that I did and I wanted to do it better. Of course. Uh, and, uh, uh, so I started to learn from that and I started to really value and cherish those moments that I got to get outside of the little world that I knew where everything was hell and just be treated as a human. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, so you were lifted up like, this yeah. is like the first time you're feeling like, you know, anything, any yeah. sort of uh, vibe or like whatever I, you call I, it. I have value to bring mm -hmm. to the world. Right. And uh, when, when my aunt, you know, brought me to my final meeting with the probation officer, the probation officer looked at all of our things because you got to get signatures from the directors of every place that you're at, blah, blah, blah. She looked at everything and then she looked at me and then she looked at my aunt and said, well, looks like you're all done. We'll sign them off probation. We'll see you back here in a couple of years. They usually come back, right? Uh, <laughs> and in that moment, there's two things that were happening. Yeah. One, I was just like, okay, why, why, why do I have to come back? You know, like, why are you telling me that I'm just a bad kid and I'm always going to be like this? Yeah. And two, my aunt was so shocked. She didn't know how to advocate for me. She didn't know what to say. So she just like was belittled and bullied by this probation officer and then we left. Right. And she, like, she knew that it didn't feel good and she wanted to do something, but she didn't know that she had the power to stand up for me. Well, and you don't expect someone in that power figure to ever say some shit like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like to throw a statistic at a real person into their face right then and there. It's yeah. like, what the fuck? Are you? So that all goes back to just one person. You could be one person that lifts someone all the way up or one person that tears them all the way the fuck down. And that shook you up for oh, right? like yeah, that for a long time so yeah. then what happens to you after that because you start kind of going through some shit again right after that it's like what's I, the point i started to get in a little bit more trouble then and then luckily my aunt and uncle you know made things stable for me and they as i transitioned into high school they you know made me do things to stay stable and they got me into sports i was wrestling and playing baseball and i just got into a routine for the first time ever mm. and that routine saved my life Damn. right but then Anytime you're, anytime you've experienced instability in your life or rejection from loved ones, it there's always like this: what if in the back of your mind? What if they don't love me? What if they don't want me? What if when something bad bad happens, I don't have anywhere to be? Right. And for me, like by the time I turned 18, and I'm a senior in high school. And everyone in America says, when you turn 18, you're an adult now. And so to me, I'm like, I'm an adult now. So when I turn 18, I have to know how to do this. I know how to do that. I have to make money. I have to. So I'm thinking in my head, as soon as I turn 18, I'm out. I don't have anywhere to live. Mm. And so I start to revert back to what that probation officer told me I was. Because I didn't have any other options. Right. Right? So by the time I'm 18, I get out of my senior year of wrestling 
and I'm feeling strong, I'm feeling capable, but then I'm feeling lost and I have no direction. I have no idea where I'm going to go. And at this time, coming from where I came from, I literally did not have a comprehension or an understanding of what college was, right. that it even existed. I thought it was just something rich people did. And, and so like, it just, it just started to just take me down, down, down over and over and over again. I mean, I was, how do you get out of that? How the fuck did you climb out of that? Tough love allowed me to hit rock bottom. Mm. So, uh, when, when I was doing that, I was acting out, I was, I was just gone. I was partying, started having sex and, and, uh, and drinking all the time. And you I never did drugs. Work. You, you never like really abused drugs in a, like, you know, I mean, you'd see. Like, no, man, I saw my mom and my sister overdose on that shit. Like I, I didn't want anything to do with it. That's right? crazy. So that's like the only, that probably saved your life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> that example, like made you get through that shit. Cause be too easy to fall off that fucking road, you know what I mean? Yeah, but like when things got bad, my attitude got worse. I was stubborn, I was hard-headed, I knew everything, F mm. everyone else, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's how I started treating my aunt, who was the only person who had been stable for me. Yeah. And so by the time, you know, we had a, we had a fallout and I was, you know, driving the car that she provided me, talking on the Nokia 8700 cell phone that she provided me. Hilarious. And I started screaming at her and I'm like, I'll do whatever I want. And she's like, that's it, I'm taking your phone away. And I'm like, screw you. I got a job. I'll go buy another one tomorrow. Go ahead and take it. Right? Like, <laughs> fucking dickhead. I'm like, get out of here. Leave forever. You're the worst. And by, and by the time I, like this, I was driving back home to the farmhouse when we were having this conversation. Yeah. By the time I got there, she was just in tears. And this is mm-hmm. like a Saturday morning. I'd been out partying all night. And coming home, it's like 9 a.m. She's in her nightgown, walks up to the sliding glass door. And she, I could just see in her face, she's done. Like, just she's got tears rolling her eyes, and she doesn't want to do it, but she shuts the door and locks it. And I didn't have a key because we never we never locked the door unless we were all gone. Damn. Right. Yeah. It was out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And uh, and so she locked it and just just looked at me, and I just like in that moment, bro, I I knew that there was a shift, and there were two things I knew. One is. I could not control how I was treating people. I didn't know how to stop it mm. because the emotions and the hatred and the stereotypes and, and the, like that feeling of when every, like anytime somebody looks at me, I'm assuming they're looking at me to fight me and I'm going to make it that right. Uh, that mindset. Yeah. I didn't know how to do anything different. So I, I walked back to the car and as soon as I sat down in the car, I just started driving away knowing I could never go back there. And, and I just was in tears. I had 15-inch subs in the back and, like, you know, blacked-out windows. Yeah. And usually I'm, like, leaned over, like, bumping Tupac. And, and in this moment, man, like, radio off, driving on a gravel road in the middle of nowhere with tears just streaming down my face. Not because she just rejected me, but because I knew that I made her reject me. And I didn't want to, but I did it anyway. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and when I hit that rock bottom, I... I was homeless for a little while. Then I found some other idiots who were living the same lifestyle I was. Got a crappy apartment in a small town. Um, and I started seeing, like, as we were having parties, I started seeing a lot of the same people come to my house to have parties that I used to despise because I knew they were drug dealers. Oh, like, and I, like loop through your family and things like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So, like, they used to do shit in front of me when I was a kid. 
And, and I, like, when that started happening, I was like, no way. That's crazy. Like, I'm done with this. Screw everyone. Everyone out. And, and I'm gone. And so I, I got out of, like, I, I left there and went back to the farmhouse. And she let me in. This was, like, three months later. I hadn't talked to her or seen her. And she, she welcomed me in, sat me down at the kitchen table. And, uh, and I just looked at her. And, and she said, you know, I think you've figured it out. You can come back here if you need to. Damn. And I, and I, but I knew, like, I still don't know how to control this. I will end up, like, making her hate me. Yeah. And so I didn't want to come back. And I, I said, you know what? I, this is what I've done. I'm going to do it. And I don't want to hurt anyone else because I know I'm going to. And, uh, but then she said, okay, well, have you thought about college? And I said, I don't even know what it is. I, but if it's something that can get me out of here and away from these people and away from this lifestyle and just get me gone. Sign me up. I'm gone. Yeah. Right. And uh, I love this part. And she, <laughs> I already know the story. Yeah, right? I'm like, wait for it. She's a smart lady. <laughs> she, Listen she, to what right? his aunt did right here. Well, so, this part's great. Like when I was acting up when I, during my senior year of high school, um, she sat me down one day and had me sign some papers. I didn't know what it was, mm-hmm. and uh, and I never thought about it again. Well, she took out this envelope as I was sitting in that dining room table, humbled, shocked, like hating myself, thinking I'm nobody. And uh, she said, oh, op- open this. And I opened this manila envelope, and I dumped it out, and there were three envelopes in there. And uh, they were acceptance letters to every state school and information for my financial aid. Um, I didn't know what that meant, but she's like, she's like, Travis, you've been, like, all those papers I had you sign, those were your applications for college. You've been accepted to every state school. So dope. Like, you just have to go. That's right? crazy, right? <laughs> How crazy is that? Like, she's so fucking smart for that shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I was like, can I go now? Like, like, can we just leave? I- I'll leave every, I don't need anything. Like, just, I just want to go. And she's like, well, you made your bed. You got to lay in it for a little while, but classes start in 30 days. So when you're ready, we'll come load up all your stuff in the minivan and we'll drive you to you and I. Crazy. Yeah. We ended up going to the same college. Yeah. So Travis was there before me and then, uh, and then while he's in college, like we talked about earlier, he's like going, kind of going over to Waterloo, which is like, it sucks because Cedar Falls and Waterloo are so close together, but yeah, so far apart, very yeah. driven apart in that aspect where yeah. it's like the rundown, you know, lower income areas, Waterloo and the people that all made money and, you know, middle or upper class all live in Cedar Falls. So yeah. It's very spread apart, right? very white and black, like literally. For sure. And so, um, Travis is going over to Waterloo where a bunch of our friends are at and making music and shit. And this is kind of what That's what saved my life, man. It, it, I would be in the basement studio, like learning how to count measures in a song, learning how a vocal you know, sound is recorded and aligned on a song track. Right. Like just learning all these basics for hours and hours and hours, <laughs> trying to record. Chuck used to give me free recording studio time just because he knew that I had nothing better to do. And and it was like saving me from going to jail. Right. Right. And so so he would just let me be in the studio practicing recording, even though I was so whack. Uh, (laughs) Right. I can't even imagine that shit. Oh, it was horrible. It was probably young Travis Tupac. Like sitting there like, yeah, it was. Uh, What he did was was cool because Chuck is like, no one understands. Chuck is like, has been one of my biggest mentors or whatever, music and all this shit. So Chuck, his brother Dante, that's how you guys, how we yeah. all got connected. 
everyone's in this circle, but they all kind of ran that music scene, still do today. Like, that's who you go to. You yeah. know what I mean? So Travis is in a frat house in Cedar Falls, which I told you is like the upper class area, not relating to anyone in college there. Oh, the I university. couldn't connect with anybody there. So like, he's I going just... to the lower class area to yeah. work on music just to so try to find passion. This is, this is, this is hilarious, especially, especially for the Black Widow Cream community. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look at this camera right here. We have cameras, people. Yeah. Uh, I don't have these on YouTube yet, but I'm going to post them all at once very soon. So you'll, what he's talking about now, there's a visual. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there is a visual yeah. to this. And if you're just listening, whatever. So if you want to actually make any progress in any type of creative aspect that you want to pursue, you just have to hustle your ass off, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. 19 years old, I'm sitting in my dorm room in, in the fraternity house like wanting to make rap music. And so I'm searching. This is like, this was back with, what was it, SoundClick? Shit, I forgot. SoundClick yeah, and yeah, MySpace, yeah. Yeah, right? MySpace days. And, uh, and, and I was doing searches in the Waterloo region for R&B and hip hop artists because I wanted to go learn how they make music. And, uh, and I came across this group called IA. Uh, eh? Yeah, damn. And it was these three like smooth dudes who had built up like a local celebrity as R&B artists. Was it Code Red? It was it was IA originally. IA originally, and then it became Code Red or something like Code Red. Code Red. They were they got big. So they they had this song called Boyfriend. And they would perform this song in like all the high schools and the girls would just swarm. Like they had to be ex escorted out of their own high school. So lit. Right? <laughs> they were that, but they also were on BT. Like yeah, they made yeah. it on uh, in like 07. Yeah, 106 yeah. in Park. They yeah. made it on there and like won a competition. They got to perform on shit. You could find all that shit. It's yeah. hilarious. It's like insane. But they were like the dudes. They were the they were the dudes. They and opened up for fucking Nelly at the at our university's like. And Metro I was Dome. at that concert Crazy. and I still didn't know who they were. I didn't put it together. Yeah. Right. And, and I just saw that like, this music is really good, and they had this song called Boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And so I thought maybe, like, maybe they'll write me back if I do a remix of their Boyfriend song. Oh, and there were, some, there were some, like, part measures in there where it was, like, not very many vocals. Right. So I ripped it off of SoundClick by playing it on my 2002 HP laptop and then re pressing a free record button, like, in a software program yeah, yeah. that I downloaded. So I was playing it and then recording it on the microphone on the laptop oh at the same time. Oh, my God. And then, Bootleg. and then I put it, <laughs> and then I put it into the recording program, and I got a twenty dollar microphone from Best Buy, and I wrote a verse, and I put it on this song called "Boyfriend." Girl, you need a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> like, Bieber must have ripped that shit right? straight from them, <laughs> motherfucker. That's crazy. <laughs> but I mean, like that's that. And, was... and then I sent it to their SoundClick email. Yeah. And a month goes by, nobody emails me. So I'm like, there's nobody else making good quality music around here. I don't want to connect with anyone else. Right. And uh, you know, after a month, I get a, I get a response. They're like, hey, my name is Chuck. I'm the producer for IA. Thanks oh, so yeah. much for your submission. I'd be happy to connect with you and like, help you learn about music. And, uh, and then the next night, Chuck picks me up in his big-ass Lincoln Navigator. Yeah, <laughs> yep. the same one <laughs> From he the has. frat house, yeah. Damn, that <laughs> car brings me out to the ghetto-ass studio base in the basement. In the yeah. basement of their house. Like, this spot, it means so much to me because, like, when we were making music, I, Dante, basically, I had class, right? I was at UNI, and it was yeah. my first uh, 
class there, my first semester, and I met you and I, and I had this production class, and out of, I'm like sitting in the class, you know, and you don't know anybody, and I'm at finally, the, I was at the community college before, now I'm at a university, it's my first class, and in comes walking Dante with this bright ass red fucking vest, right, this puffy red vest, his crazy hair, and he had these big ass glasses, like a superstar, what's up everybody, you gotta come to my show, man, you gotta come to my show, and he starts yeah. handing out flyers, <laughs> and I'm like, yo, who's this dude, I gotta be fucking homies, with this. he's flyering already, it's day one in class, he's like, I'll be here performing at the school, and I'm like, what the fuck and like we went to the show and it was super crazy yeah and then dante connected me with chuck and then when i was doing music i would bring it back to them and they're like yo i see what you're like they fucked with me real early so then i'd be at their house every day like driving back from waterloo to my parents house yep. so, you know what i mean going back home and like all yep. that shit it's like five six in the morning just you worked forever there because oh was, i would i would be in the studio until 7 a.m and then go to pharmacology class at 8 a.m what the fuck on the class regular. is that? Pharmacology, the study of medications. Like, because I switched from, I was a business major at first, but then I switched uh, to nursing, right? I thought this was like a, some farming shit. Like, no, I was like, like yo, am what? I, am, it, like, it was my college classes, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And, and so I'd be there all night just studying music and then go to, and then go to class. Fuck. I'd be in like my baggy jeans and I'm like one dude out of all of the women in these in these. Like healthcare <laughs> classes, and I'm like in my baggy jeans with like a Tupac Hell T-shirt. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's so crazy. But the the and so then Travis actually ends up. So he starts. It was it with Dante that you guys started doing the speaking again? Because no. I remember you guys flew to Vegas. So I started doing this stuff when I like when I started my career. I just felt really not satisfied, uh-huh. and so a string of events led me to working with a youth empowerment program. And so I was like, it was teenagers who grew up in foster care. When I met them, I was like, God, these kids are just like me. I'm just a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and now I have a job, so I've got good money. Right. Been a, I become a trauma nurse at this time. Okay. And, uh, and I just felt overworked and underpaid, and I didn't feel like I was living in my purpose. And right. I, I just didn't want to spend the rest of my life just feeling like I'm dying inside. And so I was looking for different opportunities, and this opportunity to work with these kids came up. And since I felt like I connected to them so much, I just felt like this innate need. Like, I have what can help them live better lives and break generational cycles. If I don't do this, I won't ever forgive myself. And so I started volunteering with this program. Then I started leading the regional chapter, and one thing led to another. And we had the opportunity to actually start similar programs in other states. And it became a statewide program, right? Crazy. And those experiences uh, put me in Las Vegas at a certain point where we took some of our youth leaders from Iowa and then brought them to some of the hardest kids in Las Vegas. Mm. And when, when I say hardest kids in Las Vegas, these are the kids who grew up around the industry, entertainment industry. Their moms are hookers. Their, their, you know, dads, their dads are gone, yeah. right? Like they just, they'd have nothing and nobody. Right. And they're, they're homeless and they're, and they're gangsters and like, they're just hard. Yeah. And when, when we were doing this and trying to turn them into youth leaders, it was just so difficult. And they were fighting everybody. And there was like one kingpin who was a, a gang member. Like everyone was afraid of him. And he was just ruining everything for like 75 kids. And I just called him out in the middle of nowhere. And I started, I knew he liked to rap. So I started rap battling him and like calling him out on everything that was wrong about his behavior, like during that event. And after that, like the the state directors of the child welfare agency, they like every year after that for like three, 
three years in a row with like multiple different events, they had me come out as the keynote speaker for all their youth conferences. Damn. And then during that time, they they wanted like at, I think on the second year, this is like two thousand um, two thousand eight, yeah. the second year of this. Uh, when they asked me to come out and keynote, they wanted me to do other things. And, and at that time, I was like in the process of starting to work with Dante. Mm. And Dante and Coda Red had just gone through a breakup. Right. Right. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, this guy's been on BET. He's done all these cool things. Like I really I, – I'm, I'm like a fan right now. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I – decided, you know what, I'm going to go ask these guys, Coda Red, if they'd be willing to help me make a song to inspire this youth group for this event. And, and I'm like, I don't know how to make a good song, uh, but I can write a verse or, right. or something like that. But right, can right. you guys do a chorus for me? Yeah. And they all, as a group, agreed, even though they weren't really doing a lot together anymore. And, uh, and they said, okay, meet me at the studio at 4 o'clock on Saturday. And uh, I showed up at the studio. Chuck had left the door open for me. I sat down in the dark waiting. Nobody showed, right? Hour, hour and a half goes by. <clears throat> Guess who walks in? Chuck. Dante. Dante. Dante walks in. And I, I'm like, dude, hey, like, look at this stuff that I'm doing, man. You got you to gotta see this. Like, I really believe in this. I think it can make a, lo- a big difference in a lot of people's lives. And, and come, you know, come in, come in the living room and, like, let me show you this video that I'm working on. And I, started, I was making, like, a PowerPoint slideshow uh, that talks about, the, like, the emotional needs that these kids need in order to feel empowered, right? right, right. And, and he's like, dang, man, like, that's really cool. Like, I really, you know, I really believe in that and, and I want to help support you. And he's like, I want to partner with you. And in my mind, like, I just watched him on BET. Right, just like so that. I'm like, like, I'm like, what? And they're flying out to LA. Yeah. Talking like, to labels. Oh, like, they were, like. The Backstreet Boys manager had them in their office and shit. Yeah, like, like guns then. to their head because another group wanted the deal. Like, yeah. that type of stuff was yeah. happening in that in that time frame. Right, right, right. And, uh, and but Damn. he's the only one who showed up. And we shook hands and, like, started a business venture together uh, to speak and perform. We would we called it entertainment and teaching with Dante and Travis, right? Mm. And so we would go to schools, churches, you know, you know, conferences, blah, blah, blah. Where they put you, there was one where they put you up in Vegas and, like, a yeah. house suite, like... Like, the conference planner's husband was, like, like the manager of uh, event space for one of these really big hotel casinos. Yeah. And so they got us a $5,000 per night room. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just two dudes balling out, balling out and fixing shit. Like, what the fuck? That's crazy, though. And then, I mean, fast forward to everything, everything that has happened since then. Travis, it's interesting because Travis, you know, he just talked, just talked about being, becoming a nurse and he's being a nurse and knows kind of like, I think it was around the time we did Heart of a Student, you were kind of like, yo, like, I can't do this every day. But the only reason you became a nurse was to take care of your nephew. So, the, yeah, there's two reasons I became a nurse. One, because I was studying business, right, my freshman year of college. And I saw other people graduating and going into dead corporate jobs. Where they're, making, they're hustling their asses off for 10 years to move up from 35K a year. Fuck. And, and I'm just like, I want to have a life. Yeah. Like, I want to write rap songs. I want to write poetry. I want to do whatever I want. And then w- one day, uh, somebody I was working with who happened to be a nurse said, hey, have you thought about becoming a registered nurse? And I'm like, no, I would never do that. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, I'm a man, right? Mm. And she's like, no, you're like, you're really good with patients. And, uh, and did you know that you can make 25 dollars or thirty dollars an hour working three 12-hour shifts every week and have four days off to do whatever you want 
And, bling, 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 and bling, as bling, soon bling. as my shift was done that day, I went straight to the college to sign up for nursing. Crazy. And, and, and I also knew that uh, my nephew was going through a lot of the same crap that I was, start, that I was going through like when I was nine. Um, and I, I knew that if I had full-time revenue with three days a week, I'd be able to help take care of him when I graduated college. Right. And then yeah. you basically bring him under your roof, got a house <clears throat> and everything. And bought a house for him. Bought a house for your nephew. Yeah. Insane. When I was 22. 22 years old, buys this house, you know, motherfucker lived in a trailer court and had yeah. nothing and bought a house to take care of a kid that was going through the same exact shit, which is very noble. And then, uh, I, I mean, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those like spiritual moments where, when I was 19, I had a nightmare that I was watching my nephew be taken away from me the same way I watched a social worker take me away from my mom, mm. right? And, uh, and I woke up in sweat and tears, and I vowed right then I'll never watch him go to foster care. And, and so it was just a no-brainer. Yeah, I absolutely. made that decision when I was 19, like, that's, it's going to happen. As soon as I'm financially stable, it's done. Yeah, and he, yeah. Did, he did it, and then... Um, like kind of gliding through, he started the heart of a student thing just kind of popped up. You guys started putting it together, and you were like, "Yo, I connect with this so much more, and this time is so much more valuable to me spent here than it is at hospital." Yeah. Like, yo, I want to start doing this again. So you start, you start doing it. You started rebranding your whole. Your, you know, you had I think before were you guys like the top ranked Google like. Uh, so my website, TravisLloyd.net, was top ranked number one in, in the nation for youth motivational speaker. On Google? On Google. Fuck. At the time. And I built that website by myself. Talk about the hustle. Like yeah. when I realized that there's event planners who pay performers uh, who do like positive hip hop and there's event planners who pay speakers and these event planners get on the web and search Google for youth motivational speaker or positive hip hop music performer like, yeah, you just took the keywords. I started studying SEO and built my website to be based on those keywords. And then within six months of implementing that search engine optimization, I started getting book gigs. Like people were calling me, and like I was doing $500 for a keynote for 45 minutes for middle school kids, you know? Yeah. Like that type of stuff. Right. And that picked up. And you started getting, after we did Harvard Student, the shit was so fun. And like we were trying to implement that into the next year, and it yeah. didn't work out. And you started booking more gigs for yourself. So meanwhile, you'd be taking jobs. You'd take shifts at the hospital. So, well, it, I was in like, uh, I was in a transition phase where I didn't know who I was or where I was going to go. Um, I knew that I had experienced something that lit me up, but I didn't know that it was possible for that to be reality every day, mm. right? And so in my mind, I was starting to get pe you know past my mid-20s and I'm thinking I have to achieve X, Y, Z before I'm 30. And so I, at the time, I actually had already applied to a doctoral program. I had been enrolled in a doctoral program to become a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I was going to open a psychiatric clinic. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I was taking prerequisites, like, cause I was also considering medical school at the time. Right. And then I was working odd jobs and taking shifts in, in the hospital, uh, while like figuring all this out, but heart of a student is what changed the game for me. Cause I realized like, holy crap, we just touched 13,000 people in two weeks. Yeah. Kids who, who are going to go out and change the world. You know? right. And, and so many of them were so capable of saying, Hey, 
you changed my life in this way and I'm going to do this because of this, right? And that to me was more meaningful than any $150,000 salary sitting in a psych clinic, right? right? Writing prescriptions for drugs I don't believe in. It just made too much sense and what we, the value we got back from giving a couple hours of our time, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I remember doing it. I remember the first day at Harvest Student, we packed up in the, an SUV, in a, like a <laughs> suburban SUV, and it was fucking winter. It was freezing out. And I didn't really know anyone except for Dante. Like, I yeah. know, I knew the Brazilian twins, but I didn't know them very well. Yeah. And Chuck wasn't there. So it was just Dante that I, I was, that's who I met. And then we're packed out in this car, and we're driving to somewhere on the farthest side of Iowa. So, like, four, four hour four trip. Four hours, probably. yeah. Middle of the night, it's freezing, it's snowing. I'm like, damn, we might die in this car. I don't know how Dante drives. And we're doing like two 90-minute assemblies in the morning. We literally pulled up, like pulled up to the school. I have no idea. I didn't understand the concept yet. I just knew I was filming something. To, hey, we have to be ready in 30 minutes. And we set up, and you guys were like, I don't, I don't know if you ever rehearsed this shit, but it felt like it was because it was just like, bang, bang. I think you met us there. You didn't even drive with us to the yeah, shit. You I just pull separately. up in your car, throw on this blazer, and you like come walking through, and you're like, hey, guys, blah, blah, who the <laughs> fuck is that guy? And then all of a sudden, you walk out, you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't even know. I, it, it, was, it was like an emotional spoken word yeah, drama piece. Right, yeah. but you just walk out, and you're just like looking at everyone. They're kind of quiet, like, what the hell is happening? And then all of a sudden, you start just giving them like your A game. Like, do you remember what it was? The, 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 the piece? Yeah, like the, the, give me the first few lines. If gosh, you I, I don't remember. Damn, I can't remember it either. It's driving me crazy because I used to know it because you did it like every day. Yeah. And yeah. it would just be like, oh, I have a dream or whatever. It's not, that's not the fucking shit. Actually, but that might have been part of the It probably was, but I felt line, like that yeah. was something you say and people were like, who the fuck is this guy? And then the next thing you know, you just talked to did poem for six minutes straight and they're like so captive. And then Dante comes out and he starts singing. It was like... These kids would go so crazy. And when we did the Q&As afterwards, they'd ask all the right questions. We tried to make it so they, we allowed them to have their phones out when that was yeah. not okay in school. Yeah. We were like, yo, see this thing on the backboard? And I, that was like, remember when I first came out, I was like, they're like, hey. You got Ben, you're like, you guys got to brand it. You got to brand it. Make sure you put your, put your Twitter logos on the screen. And, they kept and we're like, like, what are you talking about? You guys can be like, hey, if you want to talk to us, <laughs> uh, tweet at me, Travis Lloyd, 44221. If you want to talk to Dante, tweet at him. And like, it'd be all these shitty And so you made usernames. me change my Twitter name. I made a tweet. I was like, change it to Travis Lloyd Speaks. I'm like, you have to do that. I'm like, that would yeah. make sense. And then I, and then I did, a, I made like a quick Photoshop banner the next, the next 90 minute thing. And it had it up there. And everyone's engagement was way more crazy. Yeah. The kids could look at it. If they had a question on the fly, they were asking it. We were answering it in real time. So if they were scared, they had a way to ask, you know, without having to raise their hand. Yeah. And, it, and it opened up so much more space. But we did that. I know I just love talking about Harvard Student because it was so crazy. It was, it was super dope. It was it such was an amazing but, but that experience is what made me shock myself and say, okay, I, whatever this feeling is, and this is, this is great advice for anybody. Yeah. You, when you experience that feeling where you're on fire, you feel like you're living in your purpose, Whatever it is, try to recreate it as much as possible. And that's what I did. And so after Heart of a Student, man, I, f- I forfeited my deposit at the University of Iowa. I dropped out of the doctoral program. I ended up quitting my job, and I went four months without an income. And I said, whatever that was, that feeling, I need to recreate it some way and somehow. And I know that it's possible now because I felt it, right? Right. And so that's like during that four month period is when I got that, finally got that contract, wrote my book, built my platform. And then right as I was about to lose my house, like they sent me a repossession uh, notice uh, from the bank. Right when that was about to happen, 
South Dakota. South Dakota happened. And, and I got like 15 grand to go talk. Mind you, yeah. he's getting 15 grand to talk, but that money doesn't come until a while after like you do the job. 30 to 30, 45 days yeah. after because it was a government contract, so they don't pay anything ahead of time. Yeah, so they pay 30, 30 or 45 days after you deliver your yeah. whatever you're contracted to do. And so we go out. We drove to... We dr- did we drive there? Or fly? Yeah, man. Dude, this is a bitch. We fl- like, we we drove and and I like I didn't ha- I I barely had enough to cover the rental car. No, he didn't have any money. Like he was yeah. literally losing his house as we go, and he's like, "Yo, I'll pay you a couple hundred bucks if you can come. Like I'll get you the money. I promise." And we're going. He had to like borrow before <laughs> the, we were staying at his house in Des Moines. We had to get up early the next morning to take off, and he like is borrowing money from his aunt, like a couple hundred bucks, so he could just get us by with food and gas. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you barely could afford anything. We're going by there. The hotels were covered by them, I think, right? No. So you had to pay for the hotel? That all came out of my account. Maybe that's why you were tapped out because I remember yeah. he was like checking yeah. his bank statements and trying to make sure like the money was there and like and then I And then I ended up with like $350 of overdraft fees because a bunch of things processed before I got money from my aunt. It was, <laughs> and I didn't even realize like all that shit. I was just like, damn, that's kind of crazy. Like I didn't really, it didn't really make sense to me that he was being serious. You know what I mean? Because like I know people are always like, fuck, bro, I can't spend money. But he was like, yo, I don't have any fucking like, money. Like look at my account, bro. Yeah, like zero, like- <laughs> zero. And, and we got through the whole trip and drove all the way back and he ends up getting his check and everything fucking worked out. And that set him up, and he rebranded. He got his site. Launched he, a new website. Launched a new website. Put out a book. The book was booming. Like, he would go to different events. And they would pre-buy his shit. We flew to Pennsylvania. We flew to yeah. New Mexico. We flew I to- I mean, just having a product when you're doing stuff as, a, as an entrepreneur, like, no matter if you're a public speaker or you're an author or you're a, uh, a consultant or, or you're a photographer, like, whatever it is, you are seen as an expert, and you are afforded tons more opportunities if you just have a product to sell and not only that but if you have it boom there's another you go in to work with a group a company an organization there's another 50 100 300 units that you can sell where their organization will purchase it to provide it to everybody because you're the expert and they want to remember you absolutely and that's a great learning tool for them to walk away with damn fuck and it's crazy too because you you know one thing that's dope is what travis does is and you never see it coming because and I even come into it, and I've always tried to give you my two cents on shit. When it came from videos or we did the photos and shit, and I would always be like, yo, you should try this. And he knows this world so fucking well where I'd be like, yo, we should edit the video like this. He's like, no, that's not how we got to do it. <laughs> He's like, these people want the video to look like this. And he'd show me shit, and I'd be like, damn, that's kind of boring. Like, why don't we take it? He's like, trust me. And then he was right. And, that shit and, then, fucking- and then, like, within months, that video that I was like, no, just do this, make it simple, do, like, do this, this, and this. And you're like, wanting to make it cool? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Don't make those, it cool. Some of those videos, yeah. within a matter of months, people, event planners saw those videos and booked me. Like, yeah. Because it was like very real. Like I obviously yeah. wanted to make it more dramatic and more like intense. Not dramatic like as far as the story goes, but just like make the edit crazy and do what I do now that yeah. if you listen to this, you know what I do. But it was just fun trying to learn it. But then I would also turn around and pitch Travis on shit like he would come in like suited up. And I'd be like, yo, fuck that shit. Come in in a fucking button-up long-sleeve T-shirt and some jeans and see what happens. And I'm like, because then they're going to look at you like you're the young Travis Lloyd expert where you don't have to walk in and be a suit to make them understand or take you serious. Because at this point, we look at a kid. Like right now, you have kids on, the, on YouTube that are fucking 19 years old buying $8 million homes in the hills. You know what I mean? Because they're making YouTube videos. And they could walk into an event, get paid 50 to 100 yeah. k 
wearing fucking a tank top or no shirt if they wanted to and still be taken serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll be like, yo, try that on those motherfuckers. Like, see what they do then. Like, because I just felt like it connected more. Like, people would see you like, oh, cool. He reminds me of the kid that I just saw walking down the street. Or yeah. he reminds me of the kid that checked me out at the grocery store it, or whatever. And that's super dope. And I, and I did, and I've done that some. But what I found is there's, there's a dual perspective for, mm. for me, right? Yeah. They, the reason why events like me, I mean, aside from the inspiration, aside from the advice, like yeah. that type of stuff, is because I can offer the perspective of, of a kid who's been through crap but also somebody who's been a trained, educated professional working in those same systems and advising those systems on how to improve outcomes. Right. And so for me, what I found was sometimes that, that works, oh, yeah. but I actually prefer sometimes to, to, to dress it up and uh, and that's a part of my brand now. No, for sure. Yeah. And I think it was it was just fun back then trying shit. Like we were yeah. just like we didn't it. have no clue. We had no idea. That, that was so just like, four years I'd ago. I'm like, yo, try yeah. wearing a long sleeve shirt. You'd be like, cool. Yo, try just wearing all black. Be like, all right, cool. Yo, try yeah. wearing the suit again tomorrow. All right, cool. And like we would just play with shit. But it was just crazy. Going back to the the story about the, the while I was like trying to buy you a taco for helping me. Yeah, and I'm like, thanks, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, bro. Uh, but I but motherfucker paid me every time. He'd be like, yo, I'll give you two hundred dollars if you come on this trip with me, and I'll take care of all the other shit. But just I'm like, two hundred. All right, cool. Fuck it. He's my homie. I believe in him. He'll do dope shit. We'll get paid later. Like you know what I mean? Like that was it. And the PayPal came through. But what was cool is like if you go back, um, and he talks about the uh, the the officer that told you like, we'll see you again soon. You know, yeah. you're, 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 um, what am I thinking of? Tell me the word. Probation officer. Probation officer. Yeah. Going back to that moment when he told that story, I remember we were, I don't remember what city we were in and you told that story. And like, I think there was another probation officer in the crowd that stood up and he was like a yeah. very strong man. And he like apologized, I think for that probation officer, yeah. but like took the lesson, like, for sure. I yeah, he was know. like almost in tears. And I think we got a testimonial video from we him. We did. He was so dope. And he, and he was just like, he was like, like I know, I now know what I need to do differently. And I, and I apologize to every kid in the past that I've wronged in any way. And, and I will always connect with these kids and believe in them from now on. Yeah, man. You know, like. That's just crazy, right? Yeah. But like, it, what happens if you weren't there? What happens if he didn't hear that speech? Would, would yeah. he have realized that this was a thing? You know what I mean? Like, that's what's that's what's very valuable about this shit. Very valuable about this shit. And it sucks because for like what you do, some of these people that are in your shoes as like a motivational speaker or whatever it is, like that's your livelihood, right? That's gonna pay the bills. Yeah. Is you going around and speaking? You offer such a great service, and your story is so unique that it makes too much sense that you should be booked fucking 365 days a year. But that's not the case. Like everyone, it's now picked up. But like when we were starting, I'm like, "Yo, this shit, what the fuck? We should be out every weekend. We should yeah. be flying every week." I didn't understand the business. No. The, the 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 business of speaking is a business. It is an intricate, detail oriented, uh, functioning business that requires knowledge and expertise to navigate, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I've learned that now. And, and there's a lot of things that are happening now that I wanted to happen five years ago, but, you know, yeah. when the time is right. Slow roasting. Yeah. But it's cool now because um, you've even started a program where you are helping other people figure out how to do what they're doing because yeah. you've learned the business that well. You're in and out. Yeah. As I, well, was, what, what happened was as I was starting to navigate this business and get opportunities, people would see my photos of me on stage in front of thousands of people and, and they'd be like, man, how do you do that? Like, right. I have a story. I want to make a difference. How do I do it? And uh, I had so many people coming to me 
like every single week in my inbox, my DMs, and on my website contact form um, that I, I just said, okay, I can't spend the time with these people that I want to because yeah, it's happening so much that I'm just giving away free time and it's a pain in my ass now. Yeah. So I created a program and now anytime somebody reaches out to me, I say, I tell you what, if you're serious, what I want you to do is go look at the frequently asked questions on my website and it gives some tips about getting started as a speaker. If you do all of those tips and you still want my advice, you can schedule a paid coaching call where I'll share with you about my coaching program to help people become professional speakers. Crazy. Yeah. It makes too much sense. That's why I started Black Window Cream because it's like I'm constantly getting bombarded by people for questions on, hey, man, I, I want to fucking buy a camera. What camera should I buy? I'm like, I don't know. What are you trying to shoot, bro? Like, and, and it's asking me as if I have all the time in the world to just answer these questions and I want to... Okay, what are you trying to shoot, bro? Where right. do you live? Are you shooting inside? Are you shooting outside? What lenses do you have? Do you have lenses? Like, I have so many questions for you. You need lenses? You have to have lenses. People <laughs> ask these questions. It's like fucking crazy. But after a while, I just realized, like, okay, I don't want to give up. And I know a lot of photographers, videographers, that are, and directors and shit that are traveling and they have the same situation when kids are hitting them up all the time and they just don't answer. They just don't talk to them unless yeah. it's like a hot chick, right? Like they just won't talk to them. And I'm like... Well, you got to have priorities. Yeah, for sure. You have to have priorities yeah. and hot chicks are <laughs> important in this world. But no, nah, but like it to me, being a kid that's from the Midwest, being a kid that had no resources, being a kid that used the internet to learn shit, I think it's important for me to turn around and give this back. Otherwise, if I don't do that, none of this shit's important. Like yeah. to, the same thing with you. Like if we're not giving something back, what the fuck is the point? Like to get rich and die? Like yeah. what the fuck does that do? You know what I mean? Literally, what does it do? Nothing. If you can't impact someone's life, I don't think there's a point to any yeah. of this shit. And so I have people that affected me and it shifted the way I do everything. And it goes back to you guys to like other people that you guys don't even know. All that shit comes into play. Yeah. But I think if I could put everyone in a space, so like creating the private group or whatever and putting them there, at least it's a place where I might not be able to be active all day, but they could ask a question. There's someone else out there that can answer that question that might even be more fucking knowledgeable than me. Like, I don't know about wedding photography anymore. I don't do that shit no more. Like this dude does though every day and he's got plenty of time to write an in-depth response to yeah. you. And I think that's so clutch. And I would love to like, that's what we talk about because he's, like I said, Travis is doing this shit with people and now he's getting paid to teach people how to do it, which, as you should, because the fucking years of experience, yeah. you can't just get that out the gate. No one has that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we have years in this shit. And I don't, like, speaking, I we just talked about this the other day. I'm like, yo, you should get me and Andrew speaking. Yeah, oh, we're going to. For sure. Yeah. Because it's fucking tight. I want to do that well, shit. Well, and it's going to give me an excuse to come spend more time in LA on a monthly basis because I'm going to have to work with you guys, yeah. set up your brand yeah. as speakers. That's what I'm talking about. I really just want to come back to LA. No, though. I know. But, yeah. but so I real, might work on some of it. But for real, yeah. like I would love to do it and I've always said it. Like I've always said I want to go back and speak at you and I. Like I would love to go back to the college and That's speak easy. there. I know, but yeah. I just haven't done anything to do it. But yeah. like to put that is just another form of this, to do a podcast, to have a private group, to respond to messages, to go speak to people. Like I feel like that all helps and it's tight that you can get paid doing it for sure that's tight but like, i mean ain't, you can pay doing anything i can start selling like my fingernail clippings and say it matters <laughs> and people will probably buy that shit but like it comes back down to spreading and pushing it forward like i think that that's very powerful and i yeah. love that that's what you're doing i'm excited to work with you on that shit because i think we could really fuck shit up as far as me being your first explicit uh, creator that you're going to start, you know what I mean? Because I'm not going to do a gig where I can't say fuck because yeah. that's tight. But um, And that's just because I'm ignorant. But uh, 
I don't know, man. I think that is it challenging to try to package that. Do you know what I mean? In a way for people to, because imagine you get someone that just isn't getting it. So, so here's the thing is, um, when I first started down this path 10 years ago in the professional speaking industry, mm-hmm. it was really difficult. I mean, I've put months and months and months of research in. I've done, I've launched multiple websites. I've screwed it up. I've, I've wasted tens of thousands of dollars. I, I've paid for training. I've, I've, I've paid like $3,000 for one meeting in a day. Yeah. Like it, it, it just, once I've gone through all of that, now I have a system in my mind. And so when somebody is sharing with me who they are, what their impact is and what they want to do, I automatically know how to position them, what markets are able to pay them, and how to organize their brand and message to be viable in that market. Because in any market, they all have a budget. And for speaking specifically, they have specific line items that they're allowed to use that funding for. So if the goal is to increase college access, well, your presentation has to be designed in order to have a learning bullet point of inspiration for going to college, right? Right, right. Or, or whatever it is. And then it has to be packaged in that direction for, sure. for that specific market. And it has to be done for every single market that you want to impact. Uh, and so it's just intuitive for me now right. to just say, this is who you are. This is what you do. Well, this is how we need to package it. And there's so many motherfucking yeah. fake ass people that are out there speaking and getting checks all day long. And these corporate companies are just like, oh, you just helped us so much. But I think I've seen people do that shit where I like, this doesn't resonate with, I know anyone in this room, but yeah. every maybe for like the few, the hour during the keynote, like I've seen that shit where I'm like, I could see why we're all hyped about this right now. But when you walk away next week, you're not thinking about that person's name. You know what I mean? You're yeah. not thinking about what that person was talking to you about because it was all bullshit. You know what I mean? If you could really instill true, valuable content and facts in people, I think that that's what makes all this shit like matter so much. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so say, okay, so say someone comes up to you and they're hella loaded and they're willing to spend the bread, but they're, they're never going to provide insight to people. Would you still be interested in co-signing that for the sake of getting a check? Or would you be honest with them and be like, I ain't got time for that. No Mm-mm. million dollars. I need you dog. I need you. I'm going to spend the next year with you and I'm going to give you a million dollars to talk about. I don't know yet, but I need you to help it, me figure it, it out. It depends on what their, what their, what their goal is. A million dollars. Sure. You can just hang out with me while I work. <laughs> right. But like, and I can design your package, but I'm not going to co-sign it. Yeah, for sure. I'm not going to get you booked. Right. Like I'm not going to introduce you to my connections. Right. And but I I'll think take your million. At the end of the day, I think what yeah. really needs to happen right now is Travis, one of his videos or whatever needs to go super fucking ham viral. Right. Because that's all it takes <laughs> for, for this shit to happen, but where Travis could truly impact the right people. Cause I feel like we're in a space where your message is so important. And I just think that the world needs to know yeah. about this shit. So if this is a fucking jump start to a few hundred people understand. So great. check this out. There's, there's a couple of things that I'm doing right now to start facilitating that. Sick. Um, one is, as you know, I'm getting ready to go through a rebrand. Mm-hmm. And so everything that I've done right now and the videos that you helped me make, that's all old now. Old like, I even, like I look different now, right? It's mm-hmm. been over four years since a lot of my branding photos have been done. Right. It's time for an update. And so my new brand is instead of focusing on Travis Lloyd, motivational speaker, influencer, hip-hop artist, yeah. it's going to be Travis Lloyd fostering change that matters. 
right? So then when you go to my website, it'll be more modern, it'll be updated, my logo is going to be my signature, and then there's going to be a little thing on there that says event planners, click here, and then and those are the people who pay me, right? right. Those are the people who have the big checks. Right. So I'm going to cater to them on my website. Yeah, yeah. They click that, they go to another page where it says, choose your change, fostering change in dot, dot, dot. And then there's a button for each segment that I create change in mm. fostering change in education, fostering change in mental health, fostering change in juvenile justice, fostering change in personal development, um, fostering change in other, cause I need you to talk about right. fostering change in fucking, I don't know. Right. I'm like, to answer any but, joke I can think of, but I can't go with anything funny. Fuck. But, but that's going to be my, host. that's going to be my, uh, rebrand yeah. and I'm going to launch that with a new book called, uh, fostering change that matters. And then that's also going to be coming out with my new podcast. that has been in development. Originally it was titled fostering change in America. Yeah. Now it's titled the fostering change podcast, mm, right? Dope. So all of it's going to come under that. And the fostering change that matters book is going to, uh, cater to a, a wider audience because in that book, I'm going to do similar to how my podcast is going to be. Like my podcast is going to be a th different theme every month, fostering yeah, yeah. change in different realms. Um, and the book will address the seven to 10 core realms that impact every one of us. Dope. Yeah. Dope. So you already put the title out there and you're kind of setting yourself up with another deadline so that you have exactly. To, and you're going to wait till the last 30 days before you write yeah. the show. And the, and, the, and the podcast is already developed, but I'm looking for an intern to help with the back end because I, I got too many things on the, on the burner right now. Right, right, right. Uh, and as soon as I have somebody in place to, to do post-production, then that's going to start publishing with my new, my new brand and website in the first quarter of 2018. So if anyone's listening to this right now and they want to apply for that internship, how can they do it? So, uh, you can you guys text, jump on that shit. Right? So you text? can text the word change, C-H-A-N-G-E, mm -hmm. to 444-999. Savage. You already had that set up? Bro, I do this in my events. How do you like that's how I get thousands of signups? If I do a big conference and I'm like, hey, if anyone wants the videos that I used in this presentation today, just text change to 444-999 and I put it up on the screen. Damn, I need to do that shit. That's right? tight. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and um, and so that's all that's gonna do is put you on my main email list from my website, TravisLloyd.net. Right. Um, and that way you'll be able to receive updates. Now the, the one thing that Black With No Cream members might want to be updated about is a project that I'm doing with a nonprofit that I'm also working with. Mm -hmm. So um, it, as we talked about earlier, like there's this, there's this innate desire to give back, right? right? And so for the last three years, I've been starting to give back and volunteering with an organization that's a national nonprofit called Foster Care Alumni of America. Our, our goal is to connect, empower, uh, and help, help all those who came from foster care as now as adults flourish as adults, mm. right? So we have state chapters where they're able to get connected, where they're able to do legislative ad, uh, advocacy and like change laws uh, while also building a, a network of lifelong connections uh, who support them and guide them. Dope. And uh, one of the things that I want to do is help this organization grow to be bigger uh, and I want to do that creatively because I need to bring the organization to the 21st century. Right. right? And so I'm going to go back to my roots and I want to create an album and I want Black With No Cream members to help in producing this album and being a part of this album. I want to showcase adults, people who are alumni of the foster care system. 
I want to showcase their raps, their songs, their poetry, their stories, and turn it into a full album produced by Black With No Cream members and members of Foster Care Alumni of America. That's just tight. Change to 444-999. 444999 I'll post that shit in the uh, show notes too. Damn. That's yeah. dope as fuck. And I know there's kids that want to be involved in that because we've had, I've had, I know that they started trying to do this in Black Window Cream. They wanted to start like a, yeah. a Black Window Cream yeah. mixtape and like do all that shit. They but this is, started. this is tied now, this is going to be tied to a national organization, a national nonprofit organization. Sick. And we can get national partners. Like some of our recent partners are like Disney, The Fosters television show on ABC. So like real like ass that. exposure. Yeah. So, so if we can create this and make it viable, make it professional, have it all blood, sweat and tear volunteers that care about this cause, boom. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. How do you get involved in that? Say one more time. If you, listen, you, listen, listen, right here. All you got to do is get your cellular device out. You guys know what that is? You got you to unlock it with your face or your finger. You're so fucking stupid. <laughs> four, four, four. What? Nine, nine, nine? Text change. Change. C-H-A-N-G-E to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. Is it capital sensitive? Uh, I don't think so, but make it all capital because it's cool. Swag. Yeah. Um, and if you don't hear anything back, just do it all lowercase just because he fucked up. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. That's fucking great. I want to wrap this up because basically I, I asked everyone in the group, like allow them to ask you questions. Oh, sure. So I have some questions I want you to go through and answer those. But um, Let's do it. Are we, are we going to do like a power session? Yeah, just kind of bang them? them out. You don't have to stick in them too long. But uh, I, I, damn, I feel like we're, we haven't even, there's so much more to talk about just because we've done so much shit and been through some yeah. shit. And Travis is the type of dude that I call or he'll call me when there's like a breakthrough and some shit. Like, bro, check this out. This yeah. has happened. Like, I'm inches away. I'm fucking moments away from this thing to click off. And it's crazy because we probably don't even know that we got those victories. Like, say he calls me and tells me this is about to happen and it's going to happen next month. And then that does happen next month. And by that point, there's a new victory that we want. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that victory doesn't <laughs> even matter anymore. And we always have those. And I feel like it's important to put those types of people in your circle because it's just a boost club. Like, we're just going to boost yeah. each other up and we're going to do that over and over again to push each other because that's what you have to do. And if you decide yeah. to stick in your own lane and you don't want to talk to people about it and shit, it's very hard to stay motivated. And you got to be willing to give to those people too. Mm -hmm. Like, like, when I, just the other day, I, I called you, it might've been yesterday. And I'm like, Ben, you know, I'm, I'm really, I really want to do this rebrand and I really just want to have your brain on the planning of it for one hour. Can we schedule a, a call? You know, I've got a vision. I just need to make sure it's tweaked. Right. And, and without hesitation, you're like, okay, call yeah, scheduled yeah. for Tuesday night. Right? right. Easy. Yeah. So we'll be working on it Tuesday night. If anyone wants to tweet at us and be involved as well. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get to these questions. Let me kind of pull it up here. So I, I let them know who you were. Um, and I, I did at the same time, TF is going to, he's going to pee here in like 30 minutes. And he's going to, he's going to pee? No, he's going to be oh. here. And <laughs> maybe he'll piss. I don't know. <laughs> but he'll be here in 30 minutes. We're going to do his podcast next. Um, so I put you guys both in the same thing and everyone's kind of yeah. talking to both of you guys. Um, but someone, let's see, Corey uh, Caltado. Damn, I'm so bad at saying fucking names. My mom, she keeps telling me, like, dude, you have to learn these people's names. They'll connect with you more. I'm sorry, Corey. You got, you got the first part right. It's shit okay. right. Yeah. He says, Travis, what are your thoughts on meditation? I find it very effective. How important do you think it is? And any tips on how to adjust your mindset when you feel like you're hitting low points in life? Thanks. Got you. So um, 
the, the second part of that, tips for how to adjust your mindset when you're hitting low parts in life, mm-hmm. um, I'd say there's two things you can do. One is when you're out of that funk, make sure you plan to do goal setting and have specific things that you want to do in your life that you have to look forward to. Hell yeah. um, and, and that way, like you know that even when bad shit happens, you've got something to look forward to. And when you can stay focused on that, you are more likely to stay positive and understand that, oh, bad shit's going to happen again, and I know I'll get out of it, Yeah, right? That's very uh, good. Um, when it comes to meditation, I would say... Um, do you meditate? I do ver- a, a version of meditation, right? Headspace? And, and, have you heard of that? I have not. Okay, I'll show it to you. Um, but I used to get overwhelmed by this idea of medication, meditation because it's just like this big like random idea and I don't know what it is and is that too spiritual or is it mm-hmm. weird? And what I found, it, it can be whatever it is for you, right? It just has to be you creating the time and space for mental clarity. Yeah. Um, I meditate while I drive sometimes and I'll intentionally drive going nowhere. Right. Just, just to like, cause when my hands are busy, I'm focused on staying alive cause I got to stay on the, on the road. My head can just clear and go nowhere. And so I'll do that sometimes just gone. Um, other times if, if things are really stressful, um, I'll force myself. I actually did this with, uh, with somebody else recently, uh, just the other day. And I, I force myself to know that there is a time when I feel strong. There is a time when I feel capable. There is a time when I feel empowered. And I think about that time and realize that whatever's happening right now, I have the power to stop my thoughts and focus on creating that powerful feeling in me. And so I just sit down, close my eyes. Sometimes I'll touch my temples and and just kind of rock back and forth or sit and think uh, and then try not to think. And you know, sometimes you can count to do that or whatever, but um, even just doing that for 30 seconds can help shock you out of that constant negative thinking yeah you look like you're about to turn into wolverine or some shit right i am wolverine. and i was very relaxed listening to you say that right? it was like you should be like a meditation <laughs> teacher i was like damn this is nice um treshawn blunt says uh he asked actually both of you guys but to, to travis is it better to put in all right he asked a couple questions let's go through them real quick and we'll pick out one answer right. just because time sensitive shit is it better to put your own personal emotions in your writing or leave personal things out just give a quick response own personal emotions in your writing. Oh yes, do it. Don't leave it out. Uh, most people leave things out because they're afraid of what other people think. Screw that. Fuck yeah. To Travis, yeah. what type of trials did you face releasing your book? Is it important to uh, to you that everyone is affected at your speeches, or is losing one okay? We are. You already heard about the book situation. We had some. Yeah. Fun so so uh, when I f- like when the first few years I was speaking. I oftentimes felt, oh my gosh, like I did horrible and I don't think I impacted anybody. But what has happened, without fail, every single event, there's always been at least one person who has said that I've, I've caused them to not want to commit suicide or I've caused them to change their viewpoint on their career uh, or that you know, they're, they feel more inspired to rebuild their relationship with their mother they haven't talked to in five years. Mm. Uh, one thing like that happens at every single event and sometimes there's events where a lot of people don't like me or they don't connect to it uh, and I've realized that I have to just accept that it's not about me yeah. And that's just how it is for them in their own journey at that time. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 
Um, he also said, what is it like tending to another person's offspring that you know has been given away? So I've never actually fostered myself outside of my, my nephew. And I, but I've, I think he's talking about like, if you were to go, uh, speak to a foster kid, like in a foster home. Got you. Maybe. Got you. Like, what's it like talking to that person? So, so I've done that a lot, actually, because when I was a mental health crisis worker with law enforcement, uh, there'd be a lot of times where kids were in what's called out-of-home placement, group home, foster home, adoptive home, uh, shelter, whatever, uh, and those are kids who have been taken away, being cared for by other people, and, uh, and it's oftentimes in, they, they face a lot of crisis because they've experienced a lot of trauma. And what I found in those situations is you got to take yourself out of it, and you got to not think that... Um, what their problems are, are a reflection of who you are, uh, and instead just connect with them and help try to understand who they are, where they're coming from, what they went through, what, what's the reason why they're going through this, and then view them as somebody who, who is just hurting and needs somebody to mm. be there. Dope. And when you can do that, you can just view people as humans who have all the same needs and some of them aren't met. Right. And if you can help meet one of those needs in that moment, then that's all you need to do. Yeah. Job well yeah. done. Um, Andre Cooley said to Travis, what's your thoughts on meditation and yoga as it pertains to mental health? That's interesting that two people have gone to that. Yeah, uh, we just talked about well, it. So, so when you when you talk about like a holistic viewpoint a, approach to mental health. Um, any, anything that helps improve your physical wellness and improve, improve your mental wellness uh, is going to help. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of finding which, which helps you. So, so some people who maybe are really high energy and they need aggressive workouts, uh, maybe yoga is not a good fit for them. Right. Um, so don't do it. But, uh, but if it's something that you're called to, it definitely can help calm your mind. And when your mind is calmed, it also helps calm your body and heals your body. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, damn, I don't even know how to, damn, I'm really going to fuck this up. I've seen this girl post so much on Black Window Cream and I never, how would you say, how would you pronounce this? A-Y-A-S-H-A. Is that, is that Ayasa. No. You think? Oh, I'm going to do this. A-Y-A-S-H-A. A- I'm going to let it speak, the computer, when, when in doubt, go to Siri. Speech. Ayasha will not speak. Ayasha? Ayasha. Ayasha? We'll just go with Ayasha and I'm sorry if I fucked that up. But she said, uh, for Travis, what is one of the greatest struggles that you deal with dealing with foster children and such? I also was in the system for a majority of my life. Being in various homes and dealing with different lifestyles is what uh, is what is a huge inspiration for me. Gotcha. So, so what I would say to you is uh, if you have a talent and you want to be a part of the program, text change to 444-999 so that you can be updated when that's happening because uh, we want to showcase your talents. Um, And and two, um, what's it like working with? No, she said, what's the the greatest struggle that you deal with dealing with foster children? Um, The the greatest struggle that I've dealt with in dealing with kids who come from the system has been the stereotypes that are portrayed through the system, through the professionals, through the people who are supposed to be serving them. Uh, And so oftentimes, if I would go into a situation where there's crisis and the biggest struggle of all, once I I decrease the crisis with the kid, the big work that needs to be done is actually retraining the, the parent or professional or right. person who's overseeing the yeah, situation, yeah. retraining them to view this child in a different light. Yeah, because these kids have to understand that it's not them. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not them. A majority yeah. of the times it's just not you. It's no matter what you think it is, it's not you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just remember that shit. Yeah. It, it just it's like for example, the other day I, I was sitting a, um, on a plane, and I ended up sitting next to a woman who, um, who whose parents uh, now adopt and foster, mm. and she and she was like talking in a negative tone about this one boy that that her parents have. Um, and this boy like has this habit of always peeing in bottles and saving it in the bedroom instead of walking across the hallway to go to the bathroom. And she just couldn't make sense of this and is just so mind-boggled. And this kid is crazy and this kid is weird. It's so, just so weird. I don't understand this. Right. And all I said to her was, how about instead of looking at the, act, the behaviors he has, how about we look at where this might have come from and what he might have experienced? What if his stepdad molested him and beat him any time that he was out in the living room because his stepdad got jealous of him being with his mother, mm-hmm. right? What if that was the case? And so he was trained to pee in bottles to avoid being beaten For sure. and molested, right? For sure. And, and like just hearing me say that, she was like, oh, wow, that, like that makes a lot of sense. Like I'm, I'm going to go talk to that kid. One motherfucking You know, person. like... <laughs> One motherfucking person. Um, Nikos, this is the last question. Nico says, where do you find your motivation? What's the best advice you give to someone who is going after their dreams, but it's not working out? Um, where do you find your motivation? So from me there, I answered the question. I'm Travis's entire motivation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not for real. What I, what I would say is you're, you're going after your dreams. It's not working out. Then you're probably doing something wrong. Uh, and so instead of just like running in circles and trying a bunch of different things, hone in on finding one person who has accomplished the lifestyle that you want, the goals that you want, the projects that you want, and just you know, reach out to them for mentorship, uh, study their work, study their daily habits, study what education they have, what training they have, uh, watch their videos, like whatever it is, and then become very, very clear on what specific goal you want to accomplish and put a time frame on it yeah, and then do sure. whatever it takes to learn how to do that uh, and, and understand that whatever it is that you want to accomplish, um, if you think it's going to take three years, it's going to take nine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's always triple that. So don't so don't give up. Just just keep learning and growing and understand that no matter how smart you are, there's always somebody that you can learn from. And I love that that the in-depth research is so crucial because yeah. I feel like today people see say they see you on on stage and it's one picture of you on stage and you say, "How do you do that?" Well, before you start asking me dumb questions, start researching my life and do the real research of what it took before you ask me how can I learn to be like you. Yeah. Truly try to understand what I've been through and what I've done and the work that I've put out there and study me like a book, like school, because that's what you're supposed to be. That's why I think kids miss these days is like the actual training in their head to understand that if you just dive into something and actually study it like you are taught to at school, because they neglect that so much, the school doesn't understand me. It doesn't, I'm never going to learn what I want to learn here to be a fucking rapper, be a musician, be a whatever. Yeah. But if you, if, like you said, pick one person, dive into, deep dive into them. Don't just like two, three swipes back in the Instagram feed and call it a day. That's not enough. Like you need to truly, that's great. Good lesson. lesson, The other thing though too, is if you're running in circles and you're not making progress, you have to understand that sometimes the universe is kicking you in the ass Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, you, maybe you have a talent that's better used elsewhere and you need to follow what really is in line with 
who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I fuck with that. Cool, man. Well, anything else? Anything else? Uh, where can they find you at on the internet and all that shit? I'll put that in the show notes, obviously, but sure. quick. Uh, TravisLloyd.net, uh, Instagram, Facebook, everything, Travis Lloyd Speaks. Yeah. Who came up with that again? Uh, some, some random dude yeah, from yeah, Iowa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, Travis is dope. Make sure you follow him. Try to check out his book on Amazon. Uh, what's the quickest way they can find the book? OvercomingEmotionalTrauma.com or sign up for change at 444999. <laughs> 444-999. No, 444-999. Yeah. Yeah, do that shit. Um, and if you made it this far on the podcast, I always tell people to send us a hashtag, like tweet at us and send us a hashtag. So tweet at me and Travis and say, what do you want them to say the hashtag is? Uh, you pick anything you want. How about hashtag... Team Change Lives. It's literally on Travis's shirt right now. It says hashtag Team Change Lives. Yeah, so if you made it this far, send us that hashtag with a, a, a thumbs up emoji, and we will respond, and thank you for listening to this episode. That's it. How do you want to end this? Peace and love. Shit, we didn't even talk about <laughs> peace and love. All right, before we get out, this is the quickest um, quickest thing, because we're this is already pushing 145. All right. When we were out and we would go and travel to all these places, I started telling Travis, like, yo, because back then it was like, let's take a group photo. When I play music, every show we'd take a photo with the crowd. So I was like, you should take a photo with the crowd. So we'd sit there with all these, like, young professionals or whatever, and after, at the very end, we'd tell them to stand up and put the peace sign up with their left hand and the love sign up with their right hand and turn away because we we had a problem where the kids well because we we wanted to do that with a group of kids who were still in foster care and because of the state laws they're not allowed to have their image public so we told them fuck that turn around and so you can can still still be in the photo photo, just turn around so your face doesn't show and so they put their fingers up peace and love and that picked that got picked up by an international social work magazine that's crazy yeah and he's been doing that ever since even without me he'll go through and he'll get some picture he'll get someone to take the photo of him standing there and travis sitting there looking at the camera and then all these people with their backs turned yeah, that's such a yeah. you know I mean and all this I, I like I even had an audience that was filled with like Fortune 500 CEOs that did that yeah and it just it was so unfortunate that those kids wanted to be in the photo but they couldn't and that was like the rebellious like fuck the system for saying that their faces can't be in the shit yeah. like peace and love that was dope all right peace and love thank you guys for listening say goodbye Travis goodbye Travis bye 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 that's it for episode number 11 with travis lloyd thank you for tuning in and listening make sure to follow travis on all platforms and pick up his fucking book i've shared the links to that in the show notes which you can find at blackwindowcream.com slash podcast leave a review on itunes and let me know what you loved about this interview if you're interested in joining black window cream's private creator group visit blackwindowcream.com slash join and last but not least buy some motherfucking ill ass black window cream merch every sale helps me keep this thing alive subscribe to black window cream new episodes every sunday see you next week you bitch yeah, yeah, yeah.